Okay, the prophecies were somebody's coming, right? Somebody's coming. And why were they given? Why were these things told us? To prepare us. Prepare us for what? Fill in the blank. Prepare us to to help us. So we, when Jesus comes, we'll say, well, okay, we know who that is, because we had all this information given to us in the Old Testament, and we can look at it, and we can figure out who he is. Now, <clears throat> why didn't they recognize Jesus when he came then? They had all that information. Why didn't they recognize Jesus when he came? What? Um, he, was, he wasn't like born royal, so they didn't want to recognize him? Well, that's very much a part of it. They had an idea. They had their own idea that Messiah, when he came, would be... A king, yeah. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a royal king. When Jesus said to Pilate, which we just learned about ten minutes ago, Pilate said, are you a king? Jesus said, I'm a king, but not like you think. I'm a king, but not like you think. So one of the problems with prophecy what makes it hard to understand. If we start with Jesus, where is he born? Where exactly? A stable. In a manger, right? And when did he die? How old was he? Three and a half. He died at 33 and a half. Alright. Was he ever rich? No. Was he ever educated? No. Was he ever anything in the government? And so, all the idea that Messiah is going to be a king, none of that seemed like it was true about Jesus. So we read in the Old Testament and it says, well, Messiah comes and he's going to set up his kingdom forever. So what are they expecting? Set up the kingdom, right? How is that true about Jesus? What happened after he died? The curtain tore. He rose again. What happened after that? He went to 
Evan, what happened after that? Didn't he come and like talk to different people and they couldn't recognize him? Well, at first he went there. After he rose again, he did talk to people. But then he ascended. He went up back up to heaven, right? What's he doing there? Preparing a kingdom? A little more than that. Jesus went into heaven and God the Father said, Sit down at my right hand and reign. And so, what is he now? The king. He's the king. For how long? Forever. Forever. All right. And so prophecy sometimes said he's going to be the king forever. And it was true, but not true while he was down here. And so sometimes people read prophecy and they said, man, he's supposed to be a king. It says, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end upon the throne of David to order and establish it. He shall reign forever and ever. So that's not Jesus. But it is Jesus. But after he left the earth. So there's a confusing part of prophecy. It's like some people look do it, do it like this. Here's, here's this mountain coming way up here. And here's another mountain way up here. Here's another mountain way up here. And you're standing right here. There's you. All right? Can you see what's in here? Can you see what's in there? What do you see? You see what's on top. All right? You see what's on top. And so prophecy, you're looking over here, and I can see this. There he's born in the manger. And I can see way up here, and he died on a cross. And then I can see way up here in the future, and what? He's the king of heaven. See? And so, as they look across history, they can see all these things, and they kind of think, well, it's all going to happen at once. It was an easy thing for them to think. So, sometimes... We can't blame them because they didn't know. Some, there's some of that we just can't blame them and say, what's the matter? You didn't know. Now some of it, and when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, like, duh, you get it? Right? He's spectacular. Right, so he's not, you know, right, so we're going to look at a prophecy today that comes here looks at that. And these Jews said, we're looking at this one when he's a king. Isaiah chapter 53. It's probably the most famous prophecy about Jesus in the Bible. Because it is unbelievable how precise this is. How exactly it tells what happened. And if they're reading the Bible and they're thinking, well, our Jesus is a king, this can't be him. Even today, the Jewish people read Isaiah 53 
And they say, that's not Jesus. We don't know who it is, but it's not Jesus. They don't know. All right, so let's start reading. We're going to stop after every verse and take a quick explanation and see if we get it. All right, 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So Isaiah says, before I write this, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to believe me. <laughs> right away, he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you all about this. You don't believe me. I know you're not going to believe me. So if you were Isaiah, would you keep writing? Not really any good. You're not going to listen. All right. But he says, who is going to believe me? Who's going to understand this? So this is not simple to understand. All right. Verse 2. Isaiah 53, verse 2. Is that all you got there? Okay. Let me read it. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty we should desire. So, he said, here's the garden, and there's a little green plant. Just picking his head up out of the garden. And you look at it, what do you say? Ah, it's no big deal, just a little plant. And when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he's just a little plant. He's nothing special. As a matter of fact, it's like a root out of a dry ground. You wouldn't expect it to grow. Now it says he has no form or comeliness. What does that mean? Right. If you have form and you're comely, that's you're beautiful to look at. Oh, let's look at that person. They're beautiful. Right. If you don't have form or comeliness, then you're just kind of what? Plain. And most people in the world are just plain. There's not a lot of raving beauties in the world. Most people are just plain people. And when you saw Jesus, you looked at him and said, he's just a plain guy. Now, a lot of artists draw pictures of what they say. Well, there's what we think what Jesus looked like. And he's a handsome man with long hair. And a... No. He just looked ordinary. Matter of fact, he was probably more ordinary than most. He just looked plain. So your first impression, you look at him, and what do you say? Yeah, he doesn't look like anything fancy to me. And that was part of the problem. So here's this little fella, born in the stable, grows up working in a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. And we say, well, he's not very important. He doesn't look like much. And even his physical features don't stand out. Okay, verse 3. Man of trial and acquainted with grief, as we hid 
as it were our faces from him. He was despised and raised Okay, that's an interesting verse. What does it mean to be despised? What does it mean to despise? You hate him. Hate him. So he's talking about here comes Messiah and everybody hates him. Everybody hates him. He's despised and rejected. And then it says, because of that, he was called a man of sorrows. Why is he a man of sorrows? If everybody hates you, is that a happy life? It's not a happy life. He lived a pretty sad life. He's despised or rejected. And it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. So if I don't like you, what do I do? I avoid you. Right? So they avoided Jesus. And they really did. They avoided him. For as nice as he was. Okay, verse 4. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken of God. Okay. Now, he had a purpose for coming into this world. He was going to care our sins. Right. He came to fix your problem and my problem with sin. We had sin and we were carrying it around. It's a pretty heavy burden. You ever felt guilty? Anybody ever felt guilty? Everybody should be going, yeah, a lot. We felt guilty. Sure we do. We feel guilty. We know when we've done something wrong. We feel guilty. And so he said he's going to carry our sins and he's going to carry our sorrows. So he's a man of sorrow and he walks around sorrowful. He's carrying our sorrows. And when we look at him and he's sad and looks like he's carrying a burden what do we say? Eh, he got what he did there. What we say? He says, uh, we esteem him stricken. We say, we see Jesus walking around with a sad face. Why? Because God is punishing him. That's what we think. God must be punishing him. Look at him. He's dragging around under this load of sin. Verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are here. So, I want to make two columns. I want to make two columns. First one is what he had and what we had. What does it say in that verse? He had what? He was wounds. He was wounded. What else does he have? Bruises. What else? Stripes, which is just wounds. He's whipped. Right? He's been whipped. 
but he's got stripes, which you would take a whip and you run across your back, you get a serious wound from it. And the last one? He was wounded for our, he was bruised. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Chastisement. What's chastisement? You've ever been chastised? Huh? Have you ever chastised? No? Chastisement means punishment. You ever been punished? Yeah, see, yeah. It's just chastisement. In other words, for punishment. And so Jesus, being our friend, was wounded and bruised and whipped and punished. And what did we get out of it? What else? Um, what else? Two things we got rid of. He, which are sins. He was wounded for our transgressions and he's bruised for our iniquities. And both of those are words for sin. So we, our sins, we got rid of them. You got rid of that. So the thing that made you feel guilty went over to him. Who got the best of that deal? We got a lot. We came out pretty good on that deal, didn't we? He didn't make out so good on that deal. He got the worst of it. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him in the iniquity of us all. Okay. Anybody got sheep? Ooh, got a lot of people with sheep. Explain a sheep to me in one word. Stupid. Stupid is right. <laughs> you got it. That's the word. Sheep are stupid. They're dumb. Why are they so dumb? They never go where they're supposed to. Always wandering around. Always doing that. Oh, there's, you think sheep follow a shepherd, and they do once they're trained. But some sheep are just plain dumb. <laughs> I remember when Eli was about this big. He had a sheep he was taking into the county fair over there. And they had to walk it up the hill. And his dad came and he grabbed his sheep and the sheep flopped down on his side and later dragged it up the hill. Dumb sheep. And Eli comes along and he's almost the same size as the sheep. He grabbed the sheep and walked right up and walked right in. Sheep are dumb. If they're going to pull away, you should pull away from a kid this big, but they're dumb. Oh, he's doing something stupid. So what he says is, we're kind of like sheep. Always oh, doing the wrong thing. Always oh, doing something stupid. And all the things that we did were, were laid on Jesus. He got the punishment that we deserve. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened it, not his mouth. Now here's an exact prophecy. Said he did not what? Open his mouth. He doesn't open his mouth. 
What are they talking about? You know? When? He's on trial. He got tried in three courts. First court was, I told you this morning already, Caiaphas. I told you this one too, Herod. And then Pilate. So he got tried by Caiaphas and his crew, the Jews. He got tried by Herod. Herod just laughed and sent him back to Pilate. And he got tried by Pilate. What did he say to these guys? Nothing. What did he say to Herod? Nothing. Not one word did he say to Herod. And what did he say to Pilate? He did talk to Pilate a little bit. Then he says he Stop talking. All right, so not much. Enough to try and help Pilate understand, but he didn't say much. And so we put him on trial for his life. He said, all right, you're on trial. You better answer up. He just say nothing. Why would he do that? Because he knew that he had to die on the cross? Yeah. He knew he wasn't guilty. He knew he wasn't guilty, true. And he knew that he had to die on a cross. And he's not going to defend himself against these people because everything they say is a lie. All right. So he says, you're going to find when you see him in the future, he's nothing. And so when Jesus is on trial, that prophecy comes true. Verse 8. So he went to prison. Alright. Uh, did does the Bible say he went to prison? No. Not really. It doesn't actually say that. But he's in Pilate's Hall, right? He's in Pilate's Hall. And the place they have to hold him is a prison cell there. So I'm sure he was in and out of that cell. For a while. Right, so he went to prison and then he said he was cut off from the land of the living. What does that mean? He died. He's dead. He died. And so he's taken from prison. He's whipped by Pilate's men. They take him out and they crucify him and he died. And that's right here, right? He died. All right, verse 9. Okay. It says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich. Alright. So he died where? On a cross, right? That's where evil men died. He died on a cross. And where did they bury him? 
Where was his tomb? Somebody give it to him? Yeah. Anybody know who? Joseph. Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea. Was the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem. Very wealthy. A lot of money. And he likes Jesus. Jesus dies. So I'm going to give him my tomb. And so the tomb where Jesus is buried belonged to a rich man. And so we got another one of these prophecies. You want to know exactly what happened? They buried him in a rich man's tomb. And if you saw that and you were reading this, you would think, where did he get buried? Well, just over the hill from Calvary. It's not far away. Joseph had a tomb. He said, I'm going to give him mine. We'll bury him in my tomb. All right, verse 9. I hear you just read the most difficult verse in the whole chapter. So I'm going to ask you to explain it, okay? The hardest one, I want you to tell me, it says, God was pleased to bruise Jesus. I want to know why God was pleased when Jesus got bruised. And of course, bruise means all the things that happened to him. So they started by punching him in the face. And he's in Caiaphas' hall. The servants put a blindfold on him. They punch him. And they say, guess who, guess who hit you, king? And they keep punching him. And then they start pulling his beard out. They pulled it out. Anybody ever pull your hair out? Got a few. <laughs> Fun, ain't it? Like it? They pulled Jesus' beard out. They bruised his face because they slapped him in the face. And then he went to Pilate. And Pilate had him scourged with a whip. It's a cat of nine tails, they call it. It's got nine pieces of leather. And on the end of the leather, there's maybe a little piece of bone or maybe a nail tied to the end. And there's nine of them. And so when he whips Jesus, you're getting nine nails smacked into your back. And so that's part of the bruising. They put a crown of thorns on his head. So he's bleeding there. They nailed him in his hands and they nailed him to his feet and he's bleeding there. And it says God was pleased with all that. Why? Because there had to be um, consequences for sin, and Jesus took it 
Take a look what it says. Please the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. Made him suffer. Now she'll make his soul an offering for sin. So he's going to die on the cross for your sin. He shall see his seed. Prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What's his seed? If Jesus died on a cross, was bruised and beaten, whipped and wounded in all sorts of ways, and God was pleased with it because he had seed. What does that mean? Any of you hear a seed? You're all seeds. Everybody raise your hand. Say, I'm a seed. I'm a seed. You are your father and mother's seed. I am my father and mother's seed. I was born into a family, and I am seed. That's what I am. All right? I'm the seed of my parents. So it said Jesus had seed. What does that mean? Family, right? Isn't that what seed is? Who's his family? Who's his family? You are. You're a seed. You ask Jesus to be in your heart, and they call it being born again. again right? And so you kind of start over. You're born again a second time. This time you're in this family. So it says God was pleased to bruise Jesus because of seed. And what's the seed? You are. And I am. We're God's family. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said we're going to have a whole new family. And what's it going to be? The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. So what is there about you that made God happy? We'd be able to get saved now. And? We're in his family. And? Do the Lord's work that he wants us to do. And? And? You're young, so you don't think about this much. And you're going to die. And you're going to go to heaven. And where are you going to be? With Jesus Right, so you get to go be with God and what's it like in heaven? It's a happy place. It's a very happy place. You like going to happy places? 
like being happy? Anybody doesn't like being happy? Yeah, everybody wants to be happy. We're going to go to heaven and be a happy place, and God says, I can't wait for them all to get here. So God said. He said, so if I had to bruise my son and wound him and cut him and all the awful things that happened to him, the best thing that came out of it was I'm going to have you all here with me because of that. Jesus said, in my Father's house are... I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you unto myself. What? That where I am, you can be also. So we're all going to be together. So that's what why God was pleased. Believe me, when they spit on Jesus and punched him and everything, God didn't say, oh, that's a good one. I'm not saying that. But he's looking past it. I say, well, what's all this going to buy? going to buy a huge family that will someday all be together. So that's hard for people who read the Bible. Say, why was God pleased that he did all this horrible stuff to them? Because of the family that was coming. Verse 11. Wherever we are. Go. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Alright, after the suffering of his soul, he shall be satisfied. So, God in heaven was pleased because what? The family's coming along, right? What about Jesus? Was he pleased? Yeah, why? Because he was in that family. Yeah, he's the older brother. All right? And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is our older brother. And you got older brothers? What do you do? Yeah, you got older brothers? My older brother used to punch me all the time. But I like him now. <laughs> our older brother. And Jesus says, I'm part of this family, too. I'm the oldest brother of the family. And so uh, I'm going to see what my suffering brought, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Verse 12. Therefore will I divide, divide him a portion with the great king. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made in intercession for the transgressors. Okay, now let's go backwards. He made intercession for the transgressors. What's intercession? It's another word for intercession. You know? What's your Bible say? Your says intercession? Okay. He made intercession. That means he prayed. Oh. To intercede is to ask somebody. How did Jesus pray for the people that heard him? What did he pray? Remember? Oh, forgive them because they don't know what they do. They were nailing Jesus to the cross, and as these guys are driving the nail through his hand, he prays, forgive them. 
right? So he prayed for the people who actually crucified him. He bare the sins of many. He was numbered with the transgressors. That is, he hung on the cross, poured out his soul unto death. All right? He did those things. So I am going to divide him a portion with the great. What does that mean? rejected and he suffers and he's wounded and bruised and all things he died. Then what was the last mountain? Uh, he's a king. Okay. King. King forever. Alright. So we're looking here where he's born and said he grew up like a tender plant. So we see that tender plant right there. That's Jesus growing up. He was wounded for our transgressions, we see that. Now we look over here at the third hill when we're looking across and we see what? He divided him a portion with the great. What does that mean? What does that mean? Take a look at Philippians. Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter 2. Okay, verse 5. Start reading at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Or learn to think like Jesus. Go ahead. Remember we said he didn't look like anything special? He didn't mind being anybody. 
He was just a plain, ordinary man. Verse 8. So he's a human. It's on human form. And he dies on the cross. We saw that right there. He died on the cross, right? What happens next? Next verse. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him every gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So here's what God did. God the Father. He said, I let you hate my son. I let you beat him and wound him, and I let you kill him, so that he could save sinners, right? But, what? But, never again, never again, I let you beat him and wound him and I let him die on a cross. I let him suffer and I let him do all those things, but never again. Matter of fact, what I'm going to do is make his name higher than every other name. God says, I'm going to make him the most important ever. And so, when you hear the name Jesus, you bow. Where do you bow? What did you read? Three places. Heaven, earth, and other people. So when you're up in heaven, he says, and I say, here comes Jesus. Angels, archangels, humans, everybody, down on your knees, here comes Jesus. And down there on earth, where you all think you're so smart, when Jesus comes, let's see what he's going to do. Get down. You're going to bow before him. And the people in hell, which is under the earth, that's the way it describes it, he says, what are they going to do? Well, they're in defiance of Jesus. <laughs> he says, when... I say the name Jesus in hell, everybody down on your knees. So he gave him a portion with the rich. Or in other words, God said, I'm going to make him the most important person. He overcame all of that. And so never again will I allow him to be treated poorly. He will now. Wherever he goes, be bowed to and recognized as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And God means it.
And every human that rebels against God is in serious trouble. Because God said, you're going to bow your knee. So if you say, well, I don't need Jesus in my life, what do I care? Well, you can bow your knee here on earth. Say, yeah, I want Jesus in my life. Or you can bow your knee in hell. You're going to bow your knee. You can reject Jesus say, I don't want him. And go ahead and reject him. When you get to hell, you'll be on your knees bowing. Because every knee will bow. Every knee. People who accept him, people who reject him, they all are going to bow the knee. Okay? That's quite a chapter, isn't it? It covers a lot of the life of Jesus. Very specifically, he dies with the rich. Uh, he uh, carries transgressions. He grows up. You know, hardly notice him. But in the end, he becomes the number one name in heaven. Nobody greater than Jesus. And now God was pleased. Why? Pleased to bruise him because of the family. That would be the result of what he did. All right? Good. Thank you.